Hello, fanboys and fangirls. You're listening to Fanboys with Nate and Adam. This is Nate, and I am back after being viciously betrayed by Adam last episode, where he had not me in. Obviously, that guest host was inferior to me, but don't worry. I'm back forever. This will never happen again, and you can rest assured. We're going to be reviewing Spider-Man Far From Home today. We're going to be touching on some important things. Please sit down. And here we go. It looks good. So I saw pictures of your guest this weekend. Did you guys have a good time? We did have a good time. It's awesome. Would yeah. you would you uh, take him out to do? I only noticed specifically like what the uh, the stadium. Yeah. So I we we uh, we toured. The, we had an official stadium tour on Saturday afternoon. Okay. Which was really good. I've never done it before. Cool. Um. So that was good. Uh, so Friday night we went out. Um, where do we eat? He wanted. To, I said, "Do you want me to cook or do you want to go out on Friday night?" He said, "Let's go out." Uh, oh, so we went out to a Thai restaurant that has a great view overlooking the water and the river and all that. So that was really nice. And then we, I took him to my favorite bar. Cool. And. <clears throat> I tried to warn him that people here are heavy drinkers. Okay. So Green Bay is the highest rate of drinking in America. Really? In, in America. Never would have guessed that. So I tried to warn him. I'm like, the people here are drinkers. He's like, I drink alcohol, Nate. I'm not a pussy lightweight <laughs> like you. So I carried him out of the bar. I carried him to the car to my apartment and then put him into bed. Oh, God. Because he could not stand. Did you remind him that he's an adult and we don't get drunk off our ass as much anymore? So he was prepared for the drinks that he was buying. Uh He was not prepared for the drinks that everyone else was buying him. (laughs) How did he manage people to get drinks for him for the night? (laughs) With them. They're they're friendly people, but they are are, alcoholics. Okay. (laughs) So this is a bar that I go to on a... Like, if I'm going to go to a bar in Green Bay, I go to this one almost every time, like 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to go to a bar, this is the one. So they know me when I walk in. You know, they remember who I am. The staff remembers who I am. So like, hey, you know, who's your friend? This is my friend. Um, and then after we stopped buying drinks, like we cashed out for the night, then he had two people at the bar who bought him around <laughs> and then the bar, these bartenders are really nice. Like, so they bought him a, a couple of drinks too. Yeah. This is why I like going to the bar. Cause everyone's very friendly there and the cocktails are very, very good. Um, but he wasn't ready for all that. Like he wasn't ready to take shots with randos and have drinks bought for him by the bartenders on top of the, what he was already drinking. Like he was <laughs> not ready and he didn't heed my warning, so he had a he had a bad time. <laughs> he had I mean, a bad he had a, time. He had a great time, but <laughs> yeah. All right. So, on the topic of my new um, favorite movie that's out in theaters right now, even though I just went to go see Avengers for the third time with a buddy of mine over the weekend, Spider Man: Far From Home. You went and saw yeah. it just for the podcast. Thank you, co-host. Oh, I was going to see it. Okay. Uh. But the pressure to go see it as soon as possible was greater because of the pod. What do you think overall, um, and especially where it lands in your rating of the entire Spider-Man franchise since the first Tobey Maguire movie? Um, I did not see any of the Garfield. middle Spider-Man's movies. I didn't see any Andrew Garfield movies. Okay. So... To be fair, uh, I don't have a full, broad understanding of the whole Spider-Man movie, wah, the the whole thing, right? Fair enough. Um, That said, I like this movie better than the second Tobey Maguire movie. That's saying a lot, because that's still a huge contender for one of my favorites overall, because it was so Um, artistic. This movie was well done. I was surprised several times by the twists, um, and I really enjoyed it, and I strongly recommend it to the listeners. 
It was a good turnaround from our review for Dark Phoenix, wouldn't you say? <laughs> well, this movie is significantly better than Dark Phoenix, so... I mean, that's not on you and me. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, this is a brand new villain that has not been done before, which is props for the producers and everybody involved for the movie because I feel like there's always pressure to... Uh, there's pressure to do a new villain, but there's also always fan pressure to try and do one again. Like, I would love to see Doc Ock done again, even though there I didn't see anything wrong with the Alfred Molina from the second Tobey Maguire movie. But I've always been a huge fan of Mysterio. You'd like to see Doc Ock again already? <sighs> what do you mean already? I mean, God, that movie came out and... It's not even a new generation of movie watchers. It's not like say. we're remaking Mulan here. I'm just a big Doc Ock fan. But I'm a big Spider-Man fan. It's just too... Everything's too... I love all new content that comes out with Spider-Man. The only surprising thing, side note, is that when I see a lot of people rate all the existing ones, including this, online, the second Garfield, Andrew Garfield movie, is always at the bottom, and that surprises me, and you can't uh, preach to that because you haven't seen them. But I still feel like Spider-Man 3 is always at the bottom. Like, it's very hard to compete with Spider-Man 3 being the worst. I really like the Andrew Garfield movies. The the third Tobey Maguire movie is, yes. is the worst? Yes. Um, and that's the one with Venom? Mm-hmm. With Topher Grace as Venom? Yes. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. And I still find it... Um, and maybe, maybe the stuff that I'm seeing online is by um, younger generations thinking that. But, I mean, I, I like Andrew Garfield's movies. Um, but anyway... Uh, I've been jumping at the bit for the longest time to have Mysterio in a film, so I was super excited to see him be the main villain in this. Um, I didn't know how I originally yes. thought of Jake Gyllenhaal being cast, but I like him in general, and I thought he did a fun job. I've liked seeing a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff with him and uh, Tom Holland having a really good kind of bromance off-screen, which is kind of fun. Uh, for the record, Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Holland have rejected calling their friendship a bromance. I didn't even know and that. And they prefer that it be called a romance. <laughs> they don't, they think the word bromance has been overused and they don't feel uncomfortable with it being called a straight romance. Well, it's... So that's for the fans. When you discuss them. <laughs> um, so you're a bigger Spider-Man fan than I am. Yes. Um, and I was a little surprised that they chose Mysterio as the villain or as the, antagonist mm -hmm. for this movie um i know it mysterio from the comics and from the obviously spider-man animated series that we grew up with mm -hmm. um but i thought it was a weird choice because usually you try to hit your your a-listers kind of, yeah he's kind of a gimmicky character and he you know i always thought of mysterio as b-tier yeah kind of uh, then again same line is more like a rhino yeah, uh, shocker. shocker. Yeah, shocker. although they did shocker. So, mm -hmm. what do I know? The, the <laughs> Spider-Man villain I want to see the most that I, we haven't seen yet is Scorpion. Fair um, enough, and he's so, been thrown in there in the back, you know, um, end credit scene. So, yeah, it's still something uh, to look forward to. But, uh, you know, I always thought of Vulture as a B-list Spider-Man villain, even though Spider-Man has a massive rogues gallery mm -hmm. that's well-known. And they did such a good job with Vulture in the first Tom Holland movie. I agree. Um, and even though... Um, oh, who was the actor that played Vulture? Uh, Michael Keaton. Michael, Even though Michael Keaton did an amazing job, uh, I was still skeptical about Jake Gyllenhaal being cast because I thought, oh my gosh, why are you casting Jake Gyllenhaal? Are you going to overshadow this up-and-coming actor, Tom Holland? Mm -hmm. um, but it was great. Jake did a good job, um, and it was wonderful. Were you able to uh, guess ahead of time before the twist in the middle of the movie that he was going to actually become an antagonist? No. Seriously? No. So that, that got me completely off guard. So – I watched a couple of Jake Gyllenhaal late night show interviews, okay. um, you know, when he was doing the promo circuit for the movie. Okay. And Jake did a very good job in those interviews talking about how, uh, you know, this Mysterio is from a different dimension. So those who are familiar with Mysterio from uh, Earth 616 as a villain, that this is a different Mysterio uh, because he's we're getting interdimensional uh, now with 
with the Marvel Universe. And I, I took that bait hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, I don't know how Mysterio is going to work as a as a you know protagonist, as a good guy, as a hero. But Jake Gyllenhaal's on TV telling me to give it a try. <laughs> um, and so I'll try to use an open mind. And I thought that was like where – the Marvel Universe was going like now we're going to interdimensional with it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that makes sense because we're already we already faced an inter a galactic threat in Thanos. Yeah. So if we're going to start the next phase, Marvel Phase Four, it makes sense that there's interdimensional threats. So start it. So bringing in an interdimensional hero makes sense. So I was like, oh, okay, this is all adds up. The math is good. So I was completely fooled. Um, and I was looking. I was afraid of this movie with the villains that were being uh, promoted because mm-hmm. of the elementals. Right. Cause I thought elementals as villains for Spider-Man, like what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? No, I don't want to see Spider-Man fight golems. I want to see Spider-Man fight his rogues gallery. Right. And I thought, is this like a recasting of hydro man and Sandman as water elemental and earth elemental? Because if it is, that is fantastic for reboot bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fair that's point. That's the level of bad it would be. And I thought, oh, man, the villains are going to bomb the whole Spider-Man trilogy for Tom Holland. Like, this is it for him. But I'm going to go see Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom, Tom Holland go be buddies. So that's how I stepped into the theater. Mm-hmm. So when it was revealed to be a grand illusion, I was like, see, okay, mind that's explosion, why I find it- pop. That's why I find it so intriguing that you were fooled because I was not fooled. And Michelle is my witness because I had to wait if I had already told you the story. Um, We were pressured to get up to Michigan when it came out. Uh, The day it came out, we went and saw it because that was the 4th of July weekend or long weekend. We were going to go take up north. So we both saw it after work, but I got there first. She showed up later. Um, But I already had a a guess before going to see it that that's how it was going to play out because everything about Mysterio is supposed to be illusions and tricks. And so even though in the marketing and the trailers and stuff, they did a pretty decent job showing like, Oh, they're going to fight elementals. Like one, I'm, I'm thinking that's not a big enough villain for them to try and center a movie around. Nobody knows who that's supposed to be. Just a bunch of faceless, you know, fire demon water whatever it's it's gonna be mysterio he's gonna trick us by the mid i just had no idea how the story they did a really good job of um surrounding it based on what his illusion was about um they tied it a really nice way into so all the way back to civil war um showing that he was behind the um technology he created for tony stark which he called the acronym barf and so somehow I knew in the back of my mind that it was going to play into, I didn't know how deep they dive into it, but um, that all pulls from pretty solid comic book material, source material for his background story. He's supposed to be um, an onstage uh, special effects person that's not well respected. And so he takes that anger and that hatred and that resentment towards the people that don't take him seriously and then becomes a villain. And that's pretty much the way that they posed it in the movie. It was really cool. Um, so I was uh, like super nerd happy to see it when it turns out where they're sitting after they had that talk in the bar where it's like, Oh, Oh, it's coming into play now. Everything's the, you know, all holograms and stuff. So I was, I was super, super, super excited. Also side note, I was very happy and satisfied with what they did for the adaptation of a suit I felt like they didn't deviate too much from the comics. It looked like it was supposed to. They went full on fishbowl helmet, you know, which is always good um, banter for Spider-Man's quips and the yes. comics and stuff. He always yes. goes for that for the jokes. Um, so I was very, very happy with all that in general. So in the promos, in like the trailer for the movie and everything, we see Mysterio like shooting green beams mm-hmm. out of his hands and flying around and... Once again, I, I took the, the bait, hook, line, and sinker. I was completely <laughs> fooled. I thought, okay, this is interdimensional Mysterio. He has different powers than the Mysterio I'm used to. That's why he can shoot beams of energy. <laughs> like, I did not – I thought this is just going to be a bomb movie. Like, it's going to be bad. It's going to bomb at the box office. It's going to have bad reviews. Like, they're fucking up. <laughs> they're fucking up just like they did with the Fantastic Four reboot. Mm-hmm. Like, this level of bad – like I had very low expectations um, for Mysterio, and, and the, I did not even consider 
that it was all a trick, that I was being tricked. Um, so, yeah, the costume design uh, was great with the um, the fishbowl helmet going on and off. I mean, obviously, all that was an illusion. Jake Gyllenhaal, um, at, you know, Peck. What, Peck? Quentin Beck. Quentin Beck. Obviously, Beck wasn't actually flying around wearing a green suit of armor and a fishbowl helmet, right? It was all an illusion. Yeah, I think um, if I remember correctly, they did it even like the way uh, Mark Ruffalo does the motion capture for Hulk. That's pretty much what oh. he was wearing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but then the Jake Gyllenhaal, like, um, drone mysterial control unit mm-hmm. still had the dome on it. Mm-hmm. That was a really nice homage to the classic Mysterio and it, it made good symmetry with the quote unquote illusion Mysterio that everyone saw to have Quentin Beck uh, wearing, wearing that as part of his gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also thought it was an intriguing uh, play into, okay, so there's a lot of central storyline focusing on Peter being the next quote unquote Iron Man. There's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Oh, and uh, so that's another of my many notes written down. So did you get as a good laugh as I did at the very beginning when they had the, uh, it was the Whitney Houston song playing as the tribute to uh, Tony Stark's memory that did the whole vigil and stuff? Yeah, it was beautiful. (laughs) It was a beautiful opener. Um, Obviously, it's good for the audience to have a reminder that the death of Tony Stark and Captain, and not death of Captain America, but the retirement of Captain America um, which I don't know how much the public knows that Cap retired mm-hmm. versus not died, that, that that's going to hit the public very hard. And, and it's good to have that reminder as we sit in the theater that this is the aftermath, you know, right after Infinity War. And, um, and that was beautiful. And then to contrast that with it being the high school news bulletin mm-hmm. um, gave me a nice laugh. <laughs> Because you have this super somber like tribute and all that, and then back, then boom, it's back to high school, um, which, as you and I are now grown adults, we can look back on and laugh. Yes, I very, I especially get a huge appreciation appreciation out of that because back in high school, I was actually on the news video team, whatever you that were. Yeah, whatever that class was called. Um, I remember. You remember? I don't think I was ever on camera, if I remember, but I was on like... Uh, you were never on camera. I was on prompter stuff, did a little yeah. bit with the uh, graphics and special effects stuff. Um, but that was a, a fun um, group to be a part of for news media and stuff, so I connect well with those characters for that scenario. I thought that was fun. Um, now, that also yeah. leads into a huge question that I had for you. What is your opinion about the way that they tackled explaining what they refer to as the blip? I thought that was very nice. Um, I think that coming up with a name for it makes very sense. Makes a lot of sense in continuity and in world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and blip is a very fun, fanciful name, and, and I appreciated it. Um, and I like the exposition they gave on the consequences of the disappearance and reappearance of these people for five years. You know, mm-hmm. older sibling or younger siblings are now older than you. And if you're a child now bigger than you um, and how that works and uh, things like buying alcohol in an airplane. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where <laughs> you you were born 21 years ago, but you're you haven't lived 21 years. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting, you know, to explore some of these consequences of what happened and how that changes the dynamic of how these people children now have to interact with the world you know is very interesting and, and they did a good job with that i thought it was cool that they even just took the uh the opportunity to address it because i feel like that's a, a huge potential plot hole that um a lot of people involved in movies like this don't address and then that's always sitting on the back burner where fans are like well you know, this doesn't make sense Hey, this does make sense. You know, like we just talked recently about X-Men and plot holes and time yes. continuity and stuff. And this is a big thing that um, is uh, deserves an explanation. I think they handled that pretty well. I thought that was fun and got a lot of good gimmicky jokes out of it, too. Um, so are you are you familiar with the fact that uh, so Peter's friend, Ned, the, the, the guy in the chair, his summer fling is another uh, well-known Spider-Man character. Oh, that's Betty Brant. 
Betty Brant. Betty Brant is, uh, from all the iterations that I understand, is another character that stems from the Daily Bugle. Hmm. Um, and the most, I don't, I don't know, say most recent, but the the most recent uh, iterations of Amazing Spider-Man that I collected, um, very close friend of Peter's, uh, referred to it kind of like his uh, Girl Friday, like they always do like weekly movie nights and stuff together. She was in the first Spider-Man franchise. She was played by Elizabeth Banks when she actually worked at the Daily Bugle. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so she was also first introduced in the first Tom Holland uh, Homecoming when you first saw her on the newscast, the home newscast. So I thought that was fun because that's a little, you know, first stepping stone into her probably becoming a member of the Daily Bugle in the future. So that Mm -hmm. was fun. Uh, how do you feel about the um, <laughs> the little fun gimmicky thing they're doing with uh, Happy and Aunt May? <laughs> uh, I like it. You know, you cast Marissa Tomei as Aunt May um, instead of, let's say, a Betty White type of figure. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, you're adding sex appeal to Aunt May. You're adding a dynamic uh, personality. You know, she's not the blue permed hair, you know, dodering old woman that uses a walker uh, version of Aunt May. She's not frail. Um, you know, Marissa Tomei is what, in her late 40s, early 50s? I would almost guess 50s, but, you know, it's hard to say she actually looks it because she does look good for how old she is. Oh, Marissa Tomei always looks good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, of course. But, um, you know, that... Casting Marissa Tomei, you know, a sexy um, woman in the role adds a lot of dynamism. That means you want to include, you know, little bit parts for her. Uh, she had the flirtation with Tony Stark. So I like that her and Happy are hooking up. It's a nice little side plot for the fans to enjoy. And it adds a nice uh, little plot line for Happy, too. Agreed. I like getting to see Happy get more screen time. Uh, because for those that aren't aware, the actor that plays Happy is actually who we have to thank for kicking off the entire MCU franchise. He is the original director of the first Iron Man movie. John Favreau. <laughs> it's like Matt Damon. <laughs> Marissa Tomei, 54 years old. Ah, I was right, 50s, okay. <clears throat> so mid-50s. Mid-50s. Still looking sexy. I would ask her out. So it's great. It it adds a nice little flavor to both the characters. Um, it adds an extra set of angst for Tom or for, for Peter Parker Spider-Man as he navigates uh, Aunt May dating. Um, you Especially know, him connect- trying to navigate himself, trying to date at the age he's at. Exactly. So. exactly. Because Spider-Man, especially teenage Spider-Man, is supposed to have um, problems with that teenagers have. And this is a nice, relatable problem for a teenager to have. And the fact that uh, Happy is in the Avengers circles adds that extra superhero twist to it. So it's it's beautiful and it's elegant, and I approve. Now, speaking of relatable, um, another thing that I wanted to dive into for a little bit to get a little bit more personable for myself, because obviously those that know me, Spider-Man is a huge, huge favorite of mine. Can confirm. Can confirm. <laughs> Uh, before the first Cap movie came out and I got introduced to all the backstory of Cap and fell in love with him, Spider-Man was my absolute favorite. First thing I ever cosplayed, I believe, when I went to conventions and stuff. Um, And the first Tobey Maguire movie is responsible for the nerd that I am today, pretty much. Fun fact. Um, But I took uh, close notice about how I feel the, like maybe the good first half hour of the movie focuses mainly on peter um not a whole lot of spider-man you focus on the weight on his shoulders with everyone looking to him to be the next iron man generation he's uh his mind's focused on taking the school trip with all of his friends and then behind that the the biggest thing on his mind is what do i do about going on this trip with school friends and this girl that i like and what actions am i going to take to try and make a move I feel like this relates a lot back to not only, obviously, moments that you and I and other friends have had back when we were at that age, but I imagine a lot of people that are that age now watching these movies can seriously relate to. Watching the original trilogy, I connected a lot with Tobey Maguire's character being such an outcast, getting bullied, 
always having this strong weight on his shoulders about wondering what do I do about dealing with this girl that I'm in love with. And they focus a lot on that too. Here I feel like he looks a lot more the age that he's supposed to be an actual teenager in high school. So I very much appreciated how uh, basically getting to see this Spider-Man being um, teed up for the newest generation of fans. And not only that, but also tailoring to a, a, a wider demographic. MJ is not a white redhead, as she was in the first movie franchise and as she is in the comics. They're tailoring to um, more minorities. Let's see, Flash is also not a white male, as he's been portrayed mostly. So I just have a major, major appreciation for the uh, wide cast net that they're doing for the audience and how they're focusing on normal problems that kids though that age now are dealing with and that are going to I think have helped them follow this franchise a lot more so it's not just about Spider-Man it's also always following the story about Peter I agree with you the focus on Peter and his problems makes the character more relatable um, it's why one of the reasons why the comics are so successful uh, and Spider-Man is inherently supposed to uh, be a guy who's struggling with the problems, with with problems in life. He does not have, he's not on top of the world. He's not riding high. Um, he's supposed to be struggling and an underdog. And this Peter's definitely an underdog. Uh, and that's great. And he, he's still struggling with the big questions. He doesn't have the answers to the big questions in life, which no teen or teenager is supposed to, but Spider-Man most of all. Um, and from that perspective, he's all of us. So I'm with you. That was really well done. And I hope they they keep that up with the next movie and as Tom Holland's uh, Spider-Man unfolds. As far as Flash goes, uh, I have no problem with uh, diversity casting. I don't like that he's not a pretty boy. <laughs> he is sort of Maybe like a weird type of jock that I'm not familiar with. I haven't asked any women. If the actor who's playing Flash is uh, inherently good looking or anything like that, mm -hmm. but I would, you know, he does not have a chiseled jaw. He's not six feet three inches tall with big broad shoulders. Right now, because he does. In the in the comics, his character, I believe, also becomes the military version of Venom. Have you read those? He becomes Agent Venom, and, and he's uh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Yes, um, fully support Agent Venom. Uh, fuck Eddie Brock Venom, Agent Venom <laughs> forever. I understand that Eddie Brock had to get the symbiote back and Flash is now rocking anti-Venom as Agent Venom and I'm not against it, but fuck original Venom, fuck Eddie Brock, Agent Venom forever, fight me on this. <laughs> <clears throat> but this Flash Thompson is a social media guy, mm -hmm. um, so obsessed with popularity the way comics flash is, but we don't choose, we don't think of popularity the same way we used to. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Maybe that's a version of, uh, bullies and popularity that we're not familiar with that could be existing in that age group now. Cause it's not what it was when we were that age. I'm sure that high school popularity within your high school still makes a difference on teenagers lives. I don't think that's going away because people in your world, uh, are always going to have weight. A million girls can like you on the internet silo, but if none of them are in your hometown and you don't have a car yet or the ability to go long distances easily, you need those dating options where you live. <laughs> so the Flash is a social media uh, presence or being obsessed with the social media was very nice. It was very modern and updated, but I question whether he's the same jock athlete that you and I grew up with. Mm -hmm. uh, but he still hates on Parker and loves Spider-Man, which is the most essential Flash Thompson feature. <laughs> so that that was wonderful. And then MJ, this Zendaya, is that her name? Zendaya, I feel like it might be pronounced. Fans, please swarm Silo with comments on what the correct connect pronunciation of Zendaya Zendaya is. Pretty sure he Zendaya. needs to know, and you need to let him know. I'll be, I'll be right. You'll, you'll find out I'm right, I'm sure. Well, you know, you're due. I'm due? How you're dare due. you? How dare I? <laughs> Between the two of us, Nate is much more likely to be right 
I mean, we just talked about how my prediction for the antagonist of the movie was right, and you were completely fooled. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that doesn't count for anything? <laughs> You've used up your one. Oh, I call bullshit. <laughs> you can call whatever you want. <laughs> this MJ's been doing nice. Uh, Zendaya, Zendaya, she's been doing a good job as MJ. She's been playing the part well. The sideways look she gives Peter. The... I don't know the right terms. She She's playing a not-so-shy but still little-shy high school girl, which is how I remember them. Mm-hmm. You know, the most confident high school, uh, self-empowered, self-possessed high school girl can still be a little nervous around her crush or not know the right way to get a boy mm-hmm. to notice her or still be waiting on him to make a move. And even though this Mary Jane is very self-possessed and self-aware. She makes uh, feminist jokes when Peter compliments her looks. Right. She says, and that gives me value. <laughs> and he doesn't know what to say right. because <laughs> who would know what to say to that? Very socially awkward, well on point for Peter. Yeah, so, but given all of her confidence, she's still, you know, having the, the older chaperone flirt with her relentlessly uh, pursue her while she waits on Peter to make a move. Mm-hmm. So I think that's relatable for all of us from both sides. So with me growing up and relating, I guess, feeling most to Spider-Man slash Peter Parker as a character, who do you feel like you related to most when you were growing up? Is it Cap or somebody else? Well, Cap is not someone you relate to. He's someone you aspire to be. Fair enough. But Cap is, there's, there's, is there's iterate, there's, the perfect moral compass that always knows what to do. He's who you want to be. There's, Spider-Man is who you are. There's characteristics of of Cap that I always understood why you gravitated towards him as being one of your absolute favorite, if not your most favorite comic superhero. Because he's tactical-minded. He's patriotic. You really just need those two things. Cap is who Spider-Man aspires to be. Very true. Cap is not someone you relate to as much as, like Superman, the symbol that we're all trying to live up to. Spider-Man and those of his ilk are the ones you relate to that you see yourself in. I see myself in this awkward teenage Peter Parker that doesn't know how to get a girl or get his life together. At younger you or now? Young, younger me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, not that current me is the most successful dater. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> So let's see. Let's dive more into Mysterio. I was really excited, first of all, with, uh, and I felt like this is something that you would have been a huge, um, majorly appreciative too, because uh, they're using the fact that there's multi, the multiverse theory. Um, Quentin Beck is playing on people's jump to believe um, supernaturalistic stories. So they're just going to easily buy into his shtick of. Uh, I'm from another universe, and uh, so are these monsters, and I'm here to help. First, I thought that was a really great plan. And second, he it also, he, he name drops uh, Universe 616, or World 616, as we've talked about already before. So I thought you'd yes. appreciate that. Did not appreciate that. So let me, let me make two comments, because you addressed multiple things here, but two that I want to comment on. So first... Given that in the last five to eight years, humanity has realized as a whole that life exists on other planets, that it's sentient, it's technologically uh, more progressive than us in some instances, and in some instances also uh, violent. Mm -hmm. Given that, given that the Avengers just brought back 50% of the population via time travel to make a jump that multiverses are real – and a person who's just introduced themselves to you says they're from a different universe. That seems pretty believable at this point, even to the average skeptical individual. So to say that this is like totally out of the realm or supernatural in nature, if you're definitely someone like Nick Fury, this is your world now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not outside the realm of possibility once you're dealing with technologically advanced space aliens. Uh, people who claim to be mythological gods and time travel. Which is funny because if I am not mistaken, uh, 
for the most part, Fury even bought the story, which sometimes it's hard to believe because he's supposed to be on top of everything. So even he was fooled. Fury was fooled by Hydra. Tr- man, true. When they infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Even he though he, suggest- he suggested that he knew something was up, so he put feelers into the fact that he's looking into what's going on. But yes, he was essentially fooled. I mean, to be fooled by Hydra, now Fury's the most paranoid person in the universe. Yeah, Marvel Batman paranoid. But he was fooled by Hydra, so it's not like Fury can't make a mistake, or he doesn't want to believe things sometimes. Being paranoid doesn't save you from every conspiracy. And, you know, they break down in the Mysterio team, right, how they fooled S.H.I.E.L.D. with the EMP pulses and all this, so... There's no reason for, for Fury not to not to believe his own eyes when the computer readings are confirming it. Mm-hmm. If you've got both eyeballs and computer readings, that's pretty convincing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you just agreed with a point that I made. Yes, that's always the best idea. <laughs> to disagree Never... with me? Listeners, when <laughs> Silo makes a point, don't pay attention to it. <laughs> just think in your head what the counterpoint is. He's... Don't – I mean real listening, quote unquote, it's just not worth your time. <laughs> Are you There's trying to list- tell our listeners not to listen to our show, Nate? <laughs> no, no. They should listen to me. <laughs> but I'm telling them and if your girlfriend is ever on the show, she will tell them that when in conversation with you, there's talking and there's waiting. Because <laughs> listening is not important. For anyone besides Silo, listeners, please listen. Please seek to understand and communicate effectively with people, with your whole fellow man, but not Silo. (laughs) Just him. He shouldn't be done. Always hear him out, but don't really get too deep in the weeds with it. Fuck my life. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Um, Oh, the topic was a 616 reference. Oh, I was so disappointed when they claimed that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Earth-616. Okay. I've been operating, and all comic fans have been operating on the assumption for 15 years now that the main comic Marvel Universe is Mm Earth-616, and thus the Marvel Cinematic Universe must be an Earth of a different number. Oh, okay. That's a... I wasn't looking at it that way. So the main Marvel Universe is Earth-616. The... Marvel Ultimates Universe is a different is a different designation for Earth, right? Mm-hmm. The one-offs that Marvel makes, so the one-off where Wolverine kills the entire universe because he was tricked by Mysterio, that's a different universe. Mm-hmm. The Old Man Logan story takes place in a different universe, and they're all numbered. Interesting. So, so you, you can keep them straight because I, that's the Marvel multiverse. It never occurred to me that way because I just looked at it as if Marvel Comics main world is 616. I thought the MCU was the representation of that on the big screen. But you're saying that instead there's the main comic universe and then MCU is represented as like a whole nother one-off as if it were a comic. So a completely different. Correct. Okay. So the, the to stay consistent with the Marvel multiverse – this would not be 616. The, the MCU would not be 616. It would be some other designation okay. because they have dozens and dozens of numbered multiverse, you know, universes in the Marvel canon. And adding the MCU to an official number designation would blend it perfectly in with all other Marvel canon. Mm-hmm. It would be wonderful. You could mention that there's an Earth 616. Mysterio could have claimed he was from an Earth 616. Or something of that nature. But to say that this is Earth-616 uh, was sad. Although, now that I'm ranting about it, mm-hmm. Mysterio was clearly lying and speaking off the top of his head. Right. <laughs> so, the MCU wouldn't be 616 because Mysterio wasn't actually an interdimensional traveler. Oh, see, now we're getting into like deep, deep subreddit stories, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, because he was faking being an interdimensional traveler. Right. So, he doesn't know. He doesn't even know that in Marvel canon, I mean, the writers know, and it's meta, right? Yeah, that Earth 616 is the main Marvel universe. So, because Mysterio was not actually an interdimensional traveler, uh, because Quentin Beck is a douche canoe, <laughs> the MCU is not actually 616. Disregard, he's a damn liar. He lied about what dimension he's in. 
He lied about the monsters being real, and he probably lied about other things too that I can't think of right now. <laughs> so it was a nice fan nod, but it was baloney. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what did you think of the um, the cool addition to Tony's legacy, Edith, with the glasses that he handed down to Peter? First of all, I thought that was a cool acronym. It was very funny. It was very cute. <laughs> the idea that Tony would not only pass a metaphorical torch, but a physical representation of that torch to Peter makes perfect sense. The glasses are iconic Tony Stark, uh, and essentially being a smartphone that connects to the Stark defense systems like a makes perfect sense. <laughs> So all that is perfectly natural, matches up. It's great in-house continuity. It has beautiful symmetry to it. I, I loved it. He it demonstrates that just because the oh, – what was the name of the robot from the second Avengers? Ultron. It demonstrates that just because Tony Stark's Ultron initiative was a failure doesn't mean that he really gave up on worldwide security. Okay, he just yeah. stopped building uh, drone suits. Mm-hmm. To do it. So he built the defense satellites with these hover drones that were lethally armed. He, so he did all this in order to retry the Ultron initiative basically without AI. I didn't look at it that way. That's a cool concept. Okay. So it's it's essentially Ultron without AI yeah. because AI got him in trouble last time. Yeah. That's cool. So now it, now or the AI is less self-aware, less powerful, right? With the Edith, with the Edith, because it requires direct voice commands and things like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Another cool thing I was wondering if you caught on. So you are my go-to aficionado for zombie-related culture. You are a zombie fan. Confirm. Uh, I cannot confirm that. <laughs> I am not a fan of zombies. I hate zombies. Nate hates zombies. You know Nate hates zombies. How dare you accuse me of loving zombies? <laughs> you love Fuck to hate zombies. zombies. You like zombie culture-related stuff. Fuck zombies. That is my official political stance. Keep zombies out of America. Uh, that's a that's a stance. So you know kill zombies on sight. You, you at least know of the Marvel Zombie comic run. The Marvel. I zombies. am familiar with Marvel Zombies. Yes, they have a little nod to that in the movie. Did you catch that? And one of Mysterio's illusions, where like the whole room around Peter goes black, and he starts to see smoke and stuff. He shows like the, um, you know, like it's your fault that uh, the Iron Man's dead, and they show Iron Man's helmet pop up, and it's half helmet, half skeleton. So yes. that was a fun little nod to the Marvel Zombie lore. I did not know that that was an iconic image from the Marvel Zombies pretty sure it was a nod to marvel your knowledge of spider-man is much greater than mine and your knowledge of marvel zombies might be greater than mine as well i'll have to loan you the uh issues that i've got because it's a fun run so in spider-man storylines for that one of the most interesting things that they did for the um adaptation of his powers to be a zombie instead of him shooting webs you know because everyone's like you know half skeleton half body and stuff he shoots veins and swings on webs of veins in the comics, which I thought was kind of fun. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That is fun. <laughs> yes. So, when it comes down to the final battle of Spider-Man and Mysterio, when we talk about the story arc, so this is the second of uh, Spider-Man's new standalone movies as he's been introduced to the MCU. I've, as a fan, been really looking forward to getting to see the version of Spider-Man where he is very in tune with his powers, knows what he's doing. It was fun to obviously get to see him when he's first, uh, he's excited to, you know, hear the the school bell ring, get out of class, go jump around the city and just find fun stuff to do with his powers, even though he still doesn't know all the um, extent of stuff that he can do, which we see when Tony makes him a new suit with all his new technology. He doesn't know the full extent of different kind of web combinations he can do. But when we get to the final battle against him and Mysterio, we see that, A, we're finally actually getting to see him use the spider sense, referred to in the movie as the Peter Tingle, (laughs) which is a fun little joke, too. Um, But he also realizes that we, we see him finally just go in tune with his abilities to the point where we know the only way that he can beat Mysterio is instead to not use his eyes. 
but to close his eyes and rely on his spider sense. And that's how he finally takes down Quentin Beck, which I thought was really fun. So I see that as being a good trajectory into the next Spider-Man movie and his character in the MCU in general as him being a force to be reckoned with, with his abilities. So I thought that was fun to see them throw that into the final battle. It is good to see him develop his abilities over time and become better with them. Uh, and I thought it was really good that they got him away. They came up with a way to get him away from the Iron Man, Iron Spider suit, mm -hmm. which was important for this movie. Because if he had brought the Iron Spider suit with him, none of this would have been possible, right? It would have been too – the Iron Spider suit is so powerful. It's a Thanos fighting level, uh, level of power. Mm -hmm. Getting back to the basics where he has to rely on his spider sense, rely on his own abilities – uh, and not on all the beautiful things that the Iron Spider suit can do was very important for his personal growth in this story as a superhero. Uh, and the spider sense was enigmatic of all that, the, or the Peter Tingle. Mm -hmm. And that, that was another really good uh, example, too, of getting to see the science side of his brain get to problem solve. Because when he runs into that problem where he, uh, it, obviously a constant uh, problem for writing direction in the comics he runs out of his web fluid so he has to find a way to be able to actually get up to that bridge that mysterio's on with thousands of drones aiming guns and stuff at him so he what exactly did he do he, he kind of like trampolined himself up there and used one of the um drones against each other and stuff so that was really cool i always appreciate when we get to see peter do problem solving without his abilities it's really fun yes and the the running out of web fluid is a classic spider-man problem in the comics where you've given spider-man who's very powerful a crutch you know an, an injury that he then has to overcome right he has to fight with quote-unquote one hand behind his back because mm -hmm. he's out of web fluid so one of his most powerful tools is not available and to see that come across in the film is wonderful where in some of these uh spider-man movies we've had them try to get rid of that problem completely mm -hmm. by having him have organic fluid right organic webbing so that this was never an issue spider-man always has his webs they're organic they're in you know so they went on the opposite direction with the technology webbing and when he ran out of fluid it was great and i hope it happens to him again yeah that was always an interesting thing uh them taking the organic web fluid route in the first franchise and then turning the tables when they rebooted with Andrew Garfield's version and going uh, mechanical. We got to get to the what I think is really the last thing that we need to talk about. Now, did you stay and watch the whole end credits? Yes. Okay. So, what do you what do you think and how excited or surprised or both were you to see our boy J.K. Simmons back to play J. Jonah Jameson? I was thrilled to see J.K. Simmons reprise his role as J. Jonah Jameson Jr. as a quadruple J, mm -hmm. if you're counting at home. JJJ. Or on the road, wherever you listen to the pod is fine. All places are good to listen to the pod. All <laughs> times of day, all days of the week, listen to the pod. Pod is good. Hashtag fanboys pod. Anyway, J.K. Simmons reprising his role as J. Jonah Jameson is outstanding, fantastic, beautiful for the fans. And I don't know what the consequences are from for that in universe, but I'm okay with them. See, that's a that's an interesting thing I just now thought of because first of all, that's got to be one of the first awesome surprises for fans of like wishing bring back this person to play this character. But yes, if you're going to connect it to other universes, uh, there's a lot of talk online about people making a live action version of the Spider Verse, like the animated one where they had. Well, just because they want to join Jake, all... Jake Johnson, yeah, he's the voice actor for the 40-year-old Spider-Man in Into the Spider-Verse. Right. I, I don't remember the name, name of the actor. He's the... Voice he's, Miles Morales. Yeah, he's the guy that played um, Nick Miller. On New Girl. Yes. You are correct. Yes, that's what I thought. I always forget the actor's name. Um, but no, people want there to be a live-action version because that will join all of our live-action represented uh, Spider-Man actors, Tobey Maguire, um, Andrew Garfield, and now Tom Holland. And that's an interesting thing if they were to do that because you'd see in a live-action Spider-Verse, there's different Spider-Man, but for somehow as a gimmicky thing, 
J. Jonah Jameson Jr. is the same guy across all planes of existence would be kind of funny. <laughs> if there was ever a live-action Spider-Verse, I think all the fans, us included, myself included, would like to see Tobey Maguire play the older Spider-Man. Whether it connected the Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland Spider Spider-Mans together or not, or just stuck to a Miles Morales and Gwen, Spider-Gwen and all that, that's fine. But as long as Tobey Maguire is playing the older Spider-Man, it will be beautiful and it will be elegant. Yes, agreed. Very much agreed. Uh, the final interesting thing that um, they did for uh, repercussions for Spider-Man stories to come was... Quentin Beck pulling one more card out of his sleeve in terms of framing Spider-Man to make him public enemy number one for New York, as he's usually viewed as, thanks to also the Daily Bugle, which now we'll hopefully get to see in full force in the next movie as we did in the first franchise. How do you feel about that? This was a nice twist. It makes sense for the character because there's no motivation for Mysterio to keep the Spider-Man identity a secret. It adds a whole new twist of problems for Peter Parker that he has to overcome, uh, as well as Aunt May, as well as MJ and Flash Thompson. So we're going to see the repercussions for this across his world, both at the micro and macro level. And I like it. I like it a lot. I don't like it in-universe. That is, I was displeased that Mysterio did this. Fuck Mysterio, this was a douchebag move. <laughs> but as a fan, this was great. So fully support it. I'm, I'm in. I didn't see it coming, which I like the twist. Uh, and it sets up the next Marvel movie with Tom Holland in it very well. Um, the last thing that I thought was really cool about uh, what – how that kind of plays into the comics. So my favorite storyline in Marvel is civil war and in Spider-Man's title for that, uh, they focused on the relationship between Iron Man and Spider-Man as they have in the movies now. And it's Tony's prerogative to convince Peter to out himself for pro registration, because if you're pro registration in the comics, that means you have to reveal your identity you can't wear a mask, or if you're going to, you have to be registered with the government, right? So when Tony convinces Peter to do that, of course, all of Peter's fears come true. All of his rogues gallery know who he is, know who his loved ones are, and they go after them. Uh, Aunt May ends up getting shot and killed, if I remember correctly, or at least she ends up in, in dire condition in the hospital. And Peter reaches out for any means to save her. And turns to the help of Tony and Doc Strange and Reed Richards to enlist Doc Strange's abilities to turn back time and change that um, decision he made. So that's one of my all-time favorite stories in the comics. And I wonder if somehow they might pull some of that into the movies in the future with a Doc Strange and Spider-Man team-up sort of thing. So that'd be really cool. Even though they already did the Civil War storyline part of that with his identity being revealed would be something cool to see that pull Doc Strange into the future. I would be a fan of that. I don't know where they plan to go with the next Doctor Strange movie, but if they want to throw Tom Holland in there, I'm down. I, I will uh, I will watch it, and uh, I would look forward to that interaction with those two personalities. I'm looking forward to some more Doc Strange stuff, because we didn't get to see him much in... Uh, yes. And Endgame, but that's yeah, that's yes. how that story plays out. That's okay. right. Well, we've got we've got two more Doctor Strange movies on the way. True, and we don't know how he's going to play into any future Guardians movies now that they have Thor on board, mm -hmm. because Doctor Strange and Thor are always going to intersect in the realm of mysticism. Mm -hmm. Very true. <clears throat> now that Thor's inter galactic it gives an opening for strange to go intergalactic very true um i've gotten through the majority of my topical notes 
uh, except for main Easter eggs to point out. Were there any other things that you had written down that you wanted to discuss? Yes, we haven't discussed the suits yet. Ah, the suits. Well, one note that I had for that, in the plane sequence at the end, when you see Peter finally go like full Tony Stark, using the technology and trying to build up the suits that he wants, you get to see a hologram of my favorite suit, the traditional Iron Spider suit, and I was a major fan of that. I like that a lot. Can confirm. Silo does like that suit a lot. <laughs> so we see him, I believe, four suits throughout this movie. Let's see. You've got Iron. So opening scene, opening scene with Aunt May. He's going with the MCU Iron Spider suit, mm-hmm. which he leaves behind when he goes on this class trip. But May packs his classic suit. Mm-hmm. Then we see him go with the black suit, mm-hmm. which is very Spider-Man noir yeah. influenced. Yes, very much. With the way the goggle straps in, with the black ski mask design, mm-hmm. with the straps and buckles across it, with the open fingers. It's very Spider-Man noir, mm-hmm. which I appreciated the nod to it. Oh, to yeah coming up with a reason for him to need an, another suit mm-hmm. and then then providing him with this get up uh, it was great and so having that as a little tidbit in the film was wonderful then we see him get in the third suit which is the custom stark design suit which i really like both the color palette on with the black and red mm-hmm. instead of the traditional blue and you get to see some of peter express himself he didn't try to recreate the heavy Iron Spider costume. He stayed with spandex, lightweight, movement, but added those technological upgrades and then custom designed the webbing. Uh, and you got to see why he wanted that for this task and a little bit of his process artistically and scientifically uh, in its design and creation, which was wonderful. It also begs the question, now that we know Happy had this plane, that means there's probably other chrysalis sort of structures where any superhero could walk in and if they have access to Stark's tech, have a custom suit designed for themselves. That's really cool. I didn't think about that. So this has implications across the Avengers community of being able to walk in and design a suit to their liking. And always be a fun homage nod to Iron Man's memory. That's cool. Well, the Stark tech and the F- Ethel Edith, uh, Edith system are going to be influencing Avengers movies and Marvel movies for the whole fourth phase. So we're always going to mm-hmm. see those those things that harken back constantly to the Stark legacy. Okay. All right, well then, if you don't mind, I've got a short list of fun Easter eggs that will blow through. Easter eggs that maybe I appreciate, but um, ones that I missed while watching the movie, but they're always fun to go back on. Uh, And one of the early scenes when Ned is talking with Peter, you can see in the screenshot uh, a book with the title Brand New Day on it, which is a reference to a specific storyline that I'm a fan of in the Spider-Man comics. Um, Storyline focuses on uh, this character called Mephisto, which is either the devil or a um, demon of some kind that Peter makes a deal with to... I forget what the thing was for Peter. Mephisto's the demon behind Ghost Rider. Oh, I didn't know that. Mephisto is the demon that empowers the Ghost Rider. Nice. All right. That's, that's cool. That makes sense while they use that uh, specific character for We Peter. all knew that, Silo. I knew that. The <laughs> listeners knew it. All the fans. Those are those little nuggets of wisdom that you know better than I do, and I have fun learning. Oh, Silo, I have so much to teach you. I'm sure you do about comics and <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> comics. Anyway, Mephisto shows up in the brand new day storyline. Uh, makes a deal with Peter to uh, turn back time and undo the marriage of him and MJ. Um, if you could one of the turn early scenes, MJ. Time. If you could, if I, in one of the early I scenes, MJ is shown wearing a tiger shirt, 
and oh. Dishon wearing a tiger shirt, oh, which yeah. is a fun callback to her classic yeah. line. Oh. Um, oh, I didn't nice. think about how I didn't think about how uh, the opening scene with uh, Aunt May at school doing the fundraiser for uh, a homeless shelter. That's a call to her character storyline, at least in the newest game, because she runs that homeless shelter, hmm. which I'm sure all the Spidey fans out there have played. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, you would appreciate this if you'd go back and watch it a first time or a second time. Uh, apparently, Jake Gyllenhaal's character as Quentin Beck is seen uh, stalking Peter before you even see Mysterio come out on screen. Oh! So when Peter's when when Peter's out in Venice and just doing the whole like exploring thing, and he's trying to take photos or whatever, you actually see Quentin's character <laughs> in a Hawaiian shirt in the background. You know, like. Oh, almost kind of photo bombing before you even see Mysterio's characters come out. So that's, that's kind of cool. I have to go back and huh. see that in the second time. Um, let's see. I think it's it's understood that the water elemental character is a reference to Hydro Man and whatever story they talked about with him showing up actually calls back to his original origin story in the comics. And the producers or whoever the um director was uh they're very into the use of license plates and other means but specifically license plates to do easter eggs for issue numbers so apparently hydro man's um issue number of his origin story is asm 212 and you can see that as a license plate in the background in one of the scenes remind me to come back to you after i relook this up because i wrote a note about it and forgot what it calls to but there's a t-shirt that peter wears that says if you believe in telekinesis, raise my hand, which is a fun joke. That's adorable. <laughs> that is adorable. And obviously that plays into his love for science and supernatural and stuff like that. But it has something to do with a note that I wrote down that's uh, the theory around be prepared. Basically, if you ha if you believe in something, be prepared to prove it. And I forget what that was really referencing in a video that I watched. But it's a really interesting thing that calls to that t-shirt that he's wearing. Oh, um, Beck's plan to fool everybody and um, become, like, as he put it, the new Avengers, as they uh, use the Iron Man's tech and everything, is apparently legitimately called from the comics itself from the Thunderbolts, where the Masters of Evil replaced the Avengers. Thought you might have heard of something like that, since you probably know a lot about the Thunderbolts, or at least the history of, or no, no more than I do anyway. I know nothing about um, the Thunderbolts. But I thought you might have people at home, please write in on the comments a good Thunderbolt storyline so that I can inform myself which Thunderbolts comic should I start with. And then we'll both learn. That'll be fun. So do you recommend this movie to others in contrast of your recommendation for Dark Phoenix? I do recommend this movie. What rating system did we have we determined a consistent radio system? Rating system for movies in the pod yet? Rating system. That's a good Cap question. Cap shields or something? We did, Stars? I think we did <laughs> 1 to 10 last time, and you gave it one, like a 1 to 10? Did we use decimals? I think I did. And we use 10, is the, 10 is good? 10 is, 10 is better? Of course 10 is good. 10 is the highest, yes. 10 is good. <laughs> I, don't, I, didn't, I don't remember what system. We need, we need to come down with a consistent system, um, but let's assume I'm, it was 1 I'm through 10. I'm doing my best to remember. I'm pretty sure it's one through ten. Had had it been one through five, you would have given Dark Phoenix like a one or under. So, Silo on a one through ten scale, I'm going to give this movie a solid seven. It was full of beautiful twists. It had great imagery. Everything was really well executed. I don't know if it was perfection. It it might be an eight, but I I'm hesitant to go that high this early in the pod because I don't know how the system's going to develop over time. But it's definitely worth taking home to mom. It's definitely worth taking to a family barbecue. Solid seven, seven and a half, and eight if you're just a little boozy. <laughs> All right. I, being the more of a Spider-Man aficionado, and in consideration of all the other ones that I have seen, I'll give it an eight. And my basis for that number is when I think of a 1 to 10 rating system and what do I think of movies that I call a 10 in my world? Dark Knight is a 10. So that's always, always what I compare it to. Is that pretty solid, you think? 
That's completely fair. You're you're right where you should be. All right. Nate gives a seven. A soft seven and a half, I give it an eight. Salo, this is a great movie. People at home should see it. I give it a solid seven and a half. You gave it an eight. This is worth people's time. It's worth people's money to support the studio on. This is what we expect from a Marvel movie. This is what we deserve from Marvel movies. And if they keep making movies of this quality through Phase 4, we're all in for a big treat. I think that does it for our review of Spider-Man Far From Home. It does. Um, I'll have to make sure that I come up with whatever our topic's going to be for the next one, but I'm glad you're back for this episode. I'm glad to be back. Since my name is on the title card, I'm jealous <laughs> of your guest host. I don't like it when you have guest hosts. It makes me sad. <laughs> Use that as motivation to make sure that you're always readily available at a moment's notice to record a new episode. I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll do my best. This was tricky right, I think because that does it for I was traveling... It does. So this wraps it up. Thank you all for listening. You will listen to us next time, I hope. But thank you for tuning in. Thanks, everybody.